0: Jessica Tice and Jessica, I have. This is my first year being in group with Jess, but I've known her for many years. I will tell you, she just is very wise, and she has a wonderful testimony. And she's really funny. Anybody who knows her isn't she funny? She's funny. <laughs> she makes me laugh, but she brings great wisdom and truth to our group and this ministry. And this summer, when we were trying to decide you know, who who could should do Words of Encouragement. The first person who came to my mind was Jessica. And so I'm going to let her come up because I know she has a lot to say, and I'm just excited. So welcome, Jessica, to Words of Encouragement.
1: <laughs> okay, I've never been mic'd up before, so this is kind of weird. So... Um, When Leanne first asked me to speak, I kind of wanted to punch her in the nose. But, sorry, but isn't it like the Lord, yesterday as I was just finishing up what I was going to say, I got excited to be here. Um, He's got some great stuff to say to y'all today. So um, I've been praying for you guys for a few months, and myself, of course, Um, but simply that you would be encouraged. I feel like there's people here today who need to hear from the Lord. Maybe you feel like um, God is distant right now. Maybe you're going through, don't cry, (laughs) maybe you're going through the hardest time in your life, and maybe you just need to be reminded that God is big, God is powerful, and he's so big that he saved me out of Mormonism, and he saved me from postpartum depression. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, As I looked back over my life in preparation for today, um, I've never had a life verse. I just love the word so much, all of it, but Romans 8.28 kept coming um, back all the things that um, have happened that have been negative, how God took them and created good. So I hope as you hear from me today, you'll see um, evidence of Romans 8.28 in my life. So as I alluded to, um, I was raised in a Mormon family. Mormons, I don't know if you know much about them, but they are about doing. It is about works. It is about earning your salvation. It is about doing more and more all the time. They love their version of Jesus. They really do. In fact, when I was Mormon, I loved Jesus. Um, Their Jesus is just not the same one that we worship. Um, So they love Jesus, but it's about doing, and it's about working. And I remember being a teenager and driving in the car one day, and this happened a lot, actually, But and wondering, am I good enough to get into heaven today? Like, if I were to be in a car accident or if my life were to end, I don't know if I'm good enough to get into heaven. And I would recount What I had done that day, good or bad, and I would kind of try to balance it out, and um, that happened a lot. And someone who's Type A, not a good combination. Um, So that was a really hard thing for me. I'm just not having any security in where I was going, and I always had doubts about being Mormon, um, but I really did not know anything else. All the other people that were around me growing up, um, and this is I'm not. Saying anything negative about any denomination, but I had Methodists around me and Baptists around me and different, but none of them were living a life for the Lord. Um, They were partying, they were drinking, most of them were sleeping with their boyfriends. Um, And the Mormon kids were really the only ones that were doing what they said they believed. They were, as far as the do, like we were talking about, right? They were doing all of the right things. And so in my mind, that was just kind of a way to rationalize that, yeah, this must be right. This must be true. And so I just kind of pushed those doubts. Um, behind me, I had doubts about polygamy shocking I had doubts about, and you're going to love this one you can become a god of your own planet in Mormonism um, you can ask me more about that later if you want to know more um, I had doubts about the fact that we baptized people who were already dead um, so a lot of weird things, and I say it now and I think how could I have ever believe something so ridiculous but when it's all you know and when the people around you believe it and when you're raised in a family that's teaching that that's what you believe So um, I went to college, and I graduated and went into a training program to be a systems engineer. And this is the first time I can look back in my life and say, here's God's hand. He placed me here in Raleigh. So after I went through the training, I could choose anywhere in the country that I wanted to move. Literally, there was probably 50 cities I could have chosen. And because I I grew up in D.C., I wanted to be somewhere I could at least drive from home. But I knew if I didn't leave home that I would never, ever leave that was my kind of my chance to get out. Not that there was anything bad about home, but just to do something different. And so I chose Charlotte because I knew a few people there who had moved after high school. And just as I was about to get everything settled and, and get moved down there, they called me in and they said, We have too many people going to Charlotte. You gotta pick somewhere else. And so they said, if you want to stay in North Carolina, you can pick Winston-Salem or you can pick Raleigh. Well, the only thing I knew about Winston was cigarettes. <laughs> um, this was 20 years ago, I think. So that didn't sound very great. So in, I knew a few people in Raleigh that were from, or from the training program that were moving to Raleigh. And I reasoned that they had a lot of sports, which I love there, four hours from home. Sorry, we'll go there. Um, so I had no plans of being here. God placed me in Raleigh. So I'm starting to see if as I look back, he's setting his plan in motion. Um, and then I come down to look for an apartment, and one of the guys from the training program was going along with me, so that, because um, I had never been here before, and we, had decided, we were looking at different apartments, and I had set it on an apartment, I guess, is it um, Durley and Edwards Mill, kind of up in that area, and we had set it on that apartment, but we were just, he was going to drive me through Raleigh to just give me kind of my bearings, here's the mall, here's North Raleigh. As we were driving down Millbrook Road, there was these huge signs in front of this apartment building, brand new apartments. Big sale, you know, come on in. All right, let's go check it out. So we go in there, and for the same price, I could have twice as much space. It was a brand new apartment um, as the other one. And so I moved there, and that's where I met Glenn. Now, Glenn was just beginning his Christian walk. He had grown up in a family that went to church, but there was no talking about Jesus, there was no talking about your relationship. My in-laws are Christians now as I talk with them, but at that time, as he was growing up, it was just we go to church on Sunday. Um, But he had moved down here, and he was just really beginning a relationship and a walk with the Lord when we met. And so after a little while, we started dating, and as we got more serious, the subject of religion came up, um, because I was Mormon and he was Christian, so a lot of differences there. And Glenn was the first person to ever ask me, why do you believe what you believe? Um, and so if you're ever asking somebody, if you ever talk to a Mormon or, or anybody of really any other religion, why do you, and I, I don't know, because that's what I've grown up learning, but when I, when I would ask the reverse to him, he would point to the Bible, and he would point to a scripture, and he would say, well, I believe this, and here, I'll show you why I believe it, and that was very unsettling to me, because I couldn't do that, why do you believe that you can become a god of your own planet? I'm not really sure that I do, but, you know, I couldn't explain it, Um, and so that was the beginning of the cracks. I didn't realize it at the time, but the beginning of the cracks in the faith that I had. He explained grace to me, and I just thought it was too easy. All you have to do is believe. That doesn't make any sense. Why is the New Testament full of all of these things that God tells you to do? So he would explain grace to me, and he'll tell you now. I told you it, I explained it to you, and then you were supposed to believe me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> He's an engineer, like, so it was, a, it was a good lesson for him. You explain the gospel, they hear it, and then they believe. One, two, three. Um, but I thought, that just that is way too easy. That just does not make any sense. And, so, and I had never heard that term before. Um, Mormons sing Amazing Grace, but they don't mean Amazing Grace like we, or like we sing it now. Um, so anyway, we dated for about two years. Um, we were dating long distance step back a minute, I got, after I had lived here for a few months, I chickened out and ran back home to D.C. So um, by the time we started dating, I was actually back in D.C. and he was in Raleigh, so we were dating long distance that whole time. But we had talked about religion all the time, as you can imagine. I mean, we were serious. We got to the point where we wanted to get married, um, but we couldn't. Um, He didn't believe in being unequally yoked. I didn't believe in being unequally yoked. And so we got to a point where it was either get married or break up. And so we broke up. Um, that was probably, at the time, was the hardest time in my life. So I threw myself into the only thing I knew, and that was Mormonism, more of Mormonism. Um, So I was going to church probably about five hours every Sunday. I would go to church up where I lived, um, further up north in Virginia, and then I would drive down to where my parents lived, and I would go to church with my mom uh, for a couple more hours. Uh, I was Then I also surrounded myself with Mormon friends, which I hadn't really done a lot, earlier in my life, um, so I was hanging out with all the Mormons, Um, and then I was studying uh, the Word. So Mormons have the Bible, and then they have three other books of Scripture, so there's four books. So I was studying the Scriptures, as they call them, um, all the time, and I would study and I would study, and inevitably I would come across um, a doctrine or a Scripture or something that just did not make sense, Um, or it contradicted with Scripture that contradicted from their Scripture that contradicted with others of their own Scripture or things I'd been taught in Sunday school that contradicted with the words, whether the Bible even contradicted their own, you know, extra books. And um, it would crush me. And I would be, I mean, just freaked out is really the only way to explain it, and I didn't know what to do with that. And so I would kind of take a step back. Let me stop studying for a little bit. Let me just chill out. And then I would go back to studying really hard again. And it became this cycle where I would study, 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 come across something. And I didn't have a rock to stand on. So I was going through all of these. I was missing this man that I had expected to marry. Um, I was seeking the Lord. Things were not um, solid. I didn't have a rock to put my feet on. And at this time, I was not suicidal, um, but I thought about death a lot. And the reason I would thought about death was if I was dead and I was in heaven or wherever I would have been... Um, Then I could ask God straight up, so what's true? Um, So I I didn't think about killing myself, but I just thought about it would be easier if I could just ask God, what is true? Because I'm seeking, and I'm seeking, and I can't find it. Um, So God used this time when I wasn't dating Glenn anymore, and um, I was up in in the D.C. area, to really break me down to nothing. Um, But he was going to build me back up. So until um, more recently, that was the hardest year of my life ever. Um, I mean, think about, if you're, married, if you're married, think about walking away from your husband when you were dating for a reason that didn't seem so solid anymore. Um, so I really, really wanted to know the truth about Jesus. I was extremely lost, searching, and I, was, I felt very alone. Um, it's not something that you do to admit that you're doubting in the Mormon church. And I remember talking to my brother and saying, talking about having these doubts. And he had just come back from his mission in Mexico, and he said, "Maybe you just you need to be more good. Maybe you need to do more good works. And then maybe, then maybe God will answer your prayer." And I thought, seriously, what else can I do? I'm going to church five hours on Sunday. I'm teaching Sunday. I mean, I can't do anything else. And I remember that very vividly. Just you need to do more stuff. You need to do more things. And so I felt very alone. I, I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about how I was feeling. Um, and I felt like something was wrong with me. Why am I having all these doubts? And I go to church. And Mormons have this thing called Testimony Sunday, where um, one Sunday a month, it's just open mic. And you can get up and, and share your testimony, and people get up. I know this church is true. I know this church is true. And I'm sitting there going, What's wrong with me? Why can't I know? Well, that's so the summer, um, so this is about the summer of 2000. Um, I just got to a point where I, I mean, I, I was so broken. I didn't know what to do. And so I had always loved the, the poem, um, the Footprints poem. And so I got down on my knees and prayed, and I pe- prayed the Footprints, footprints poem um, to the Lord and said, I want to know what's true. And if it's not Mormonism, then you're going to have to carry me through the next steps like you do, you know, in that poem. And I um, can't see what I'm writing, what I wrote. <laughs> um, but you know what that 's exactly what he did, um, so another thing that when you, you don 't doubt you don 't go online and you don 't look up anti mormon or ex mormon kind of stuff and I did that and i, I don 't even remember how I got on it, but I ended up on this message board called Mormons in transition and i didn 't necessarily think I was in transition, but I had read this message, and a woman or somebody on there said you know you should or was was responding to a question by somebody who was who was doubting um, and the person said, you should read the book of Romans. And I remember, that, can I have that? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have my mascara coming out. It's okay. Um, I knew I was going to cry because I cried when I was practicing. Um, so, she said, so, I, I, so she said, read Romans. And I thought, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I've read the Bible like so many times. But I was kind of desperate. So i all right, I'll read Romans. So I started reading Romans, and I got to Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 4, in Romans chapter 5, and grace jumped off the page at me. In Romans chapter 3, um, Paul's talking about there's not one person who's righteous. And then he goes on to talk about how we're righteous by faith. And then as he goes on into chapter 4, he talks about Abraham believed, and it was credit to him as righteousness. And he talks more and more about the law and how the law can't save you. And um, it sounds really silly, but I thought, "Who changed the Bible?" <laughs> because I've read this before, and it did not say that. Um, but I mean, it, I could not believe what I could not believe what I was reading. Um, and so I kept reading. I read Romans, and I read through First and Second Corinthians, and I read in Galatians, and it said the same thing in every book. And I look back on this, and it's amazing what God did. Because um, you know, when people leave, the only thing they know. And their family. You think it would have been really hard? It was not hard. I was so excited. I could not believe what I was reading. I understood what Glenn had been talking about all that time. I understood what I was reading in the Bible. It made sense. Everything connected. It said the same thing in this book, in that book, in that book. I was over the moon excited. Sorry. Um, and so, the exact timeline I'm a little fuzzy on. It's been 20 years, but um, at some point. That end of that summer, I prayed for my salvation, and um, like Priscilla talked about in week four with peace. When I um, when I was going through that year of studying and trying to figure out what was true, my mind was always constantly going. It was miserable, comparing this doctrine and that doctrine, and this belief and that belief, and remembering Glenn saying, "Why do you believe?" And it was just like not voices, like um, but you know, just constant going, going, going. And the minute that I prayed for my salvation, it's just like a light switch it turned off, and I had the peace with God. Um, Every time I reflect on, and I do often because I pray, I'm praying for the salvation of my family, and I'm feeling kind of discouraged. I remember, look what God did to you. Um, I'm just in awe that I'm standing here this morning and sharing with you that God saved me. He saved me, he saved me out of Mormonism, and then I have the truth um, to stand on. Um, to me, it's Romans eight twenty eight. I mean, I went through an awful, awful year, and I would do it again in a heartbeat because of all the good that's come out of it. Um, so I'll give you the cliff note details of what happened real quick because I'm in trouble. Um, I got back in touch with Glenn. Um, I knew he had someone who had been. A, I don't think I had was ready to say I'm. I'm not going back to the Mormon Church yet, but. It's kind of a process. Um, I knew he knew somebody who had been Mormon who had left the church. And so I wanted to talk to her. And from being honest, I wanted to talk to him. Um, it had been a year since we talked. <laughs> and so I talked to her. And you know what she said to me? She said, Jessica, you're trying so hard to prove to yourself that Mormonism is true and you can't do it. And I think that was the last step, kind of the last thing I needed to hear. She totally got it because she had been through what I'd been through. And um, I, I, that's when I realized I'm never going back there. Um, it was my last step in being able to leave. Um, So after, so that was probably August, September. um, After Glenn made sure that all of this converting was real and it wasn't just for him, big ego. Um, um, We were engaged that December, married that April, and next month we'll have been married for 16 years. Um, We have two boys, one who turned four last week and one who's almost 10. Um, So I'm going to fast forward. Well, I have to say, this was really good. I have to say this. So now I have a rock, and it is Jesus. (laughs) Um, So fast forward to 2013. Um, In March of 2013, our second son was born. Um, He was born at 28 weeks with no warning whatsoever. Um, I went to the hospital on a Sunday night, and I was having really sharp pains from my chest to my pelvis. So sharp, not crampy, not horizontal. So I I didn't think I was in labor. Um, I'd worked really hard in the yard the day before, I just figured, overdid it, but something didn't feel right, so um, being a Sunday night, there's no doctor, so we went to the hospital. Glenn dropped me off, because we didn't want to freak out our um, five-year-old, and um, I go into there, and you probably have a urine infection, no big deal, Um, they're checking me out, and I hear the doctor whisper to the nurse, really hushed voice, you have to admit her right away, I said, what is going on? He said, you're going to have your baby today. Um, so I called Glenn and said, big news. Um, and so you need to take Cameron home, put him to bed, find somebody and, um, get up to the hospital. Um, well, Glenn never made it to the hospital in time. Um, I dilated like crazy fast and, um, Carter was footling breech, which means he was trying to come out feet first. Um, they would not give me any pain medication because he was only 28 weeks. Um, and I know some of you have given birth without pain. medications. good for you. I wanted some pain medication. <laughs> um, and they would not give me any. But um, I just want to tell you about God's faithfulness. And the, So I had the peace with God when I was saved. I'm going to tell you about the peace of God. So I was alone that evening. I did not know any doctors, any nurses, nobody from, uh, actually there might have been one. But basically nobody from my practice was there. Um, Glenn was not there. My mom was not there. There was nobody there. So I was alone physically, but I had Jesus with me. He didn't remove my circumstances. They didn't stop the labor. And Carter was born at 28 weeks, but he provided a way for me. I had been doing a Bible study. Um, I felt God had called me to lead a Bible study in my neighborhood. And I kind of didn't really want to, but um, ended up doing it. And we were doing a Bible study on the attributes of God. And so we were studying who he is. How he's faithful, how he's merciful, how he's perfect. And I really believe that, um, like Priscilla talked in week five, faith is about who you place it in, not how big it is. And I had been studying who he is for the last six months. And so I wasn't scared, I wasn't worried, I was overwhelmed, but I wasn't freaking out. Um, I, I had an inner peace and inner strength that can only be explained by the Holy Spirit. You know, I always find it interesting. It never crossed my mind that Carter could die. I mean, that's the first thing that my mom told me later when I called her to tell her what was going on. The first thing she shot about was that he was going to die. And um, some of my friends thought the same thing. It never, ever crossed my mind that he would die. I just thought he was going to be small. And he couldn't have died. Um, but there's more things that God did. Glenn was supposed to, tra- supposed to travel that next morning for the entire week. He was due to fly out to Minnesota 12 hours later. So while... Well, you think, God's timing. How could it be perfect for you having have you at 28 weeks? It was perfect because it had happened even 12 hours later, Glenn would have been on an airplane. My mom was due to travel three days later to Utah for two months. Um, he provided a, a NICU doctor who was on call, who held my hand through every contraction when my husband couldn't be there. And he provided a nurse who, through roundabout ways, knew somebody that I knew, and she prayed over me, and she prayed over Carter. And so... Um, the circumstances were awful, but he took care of me. I mean, I remember even in the moment realizing that he was taking care of me in the middle of that storm. Um, so Carter was in the NICU for eight weeks, and um, then we brought him home, and that's when the real darkness began. So it turns out up to eighty percent of NICU moms end up with postpartum depression, but it's delayed because you're in a survival mode. You're in the hospital, and you're coming home, and all you're doing is worrying about how the baby's doing. So. Um, your body doesn't really process anything. But nobody told us this. This is something I found out later. So they tell you when you leave the hospital after the birth, be on the lookout for postpartum depression. Um, but this was two months later. And when I had had my first, when I had Cameron, um, I'd had a difficult delivery, but after that, it was like rainbows and unicorns all the time. I mean, I, I thought being a mom was the greatest thing ever. I mean, we had our normal baby struggles, you know. But, I mean, I just loved being a mom and thought it was the best thing that I'd ever done. Um, I thought at this point, I just thought, I'm, I'm really tired. I'm really overwhelmed. I have a preemie. He's not even supposed to be born yet, you know, and he's two months old, and I'm supposed to be taking care of him. There's no instructions. You can't open a book and say, oh, he's two months old. He should be doing this. Um, and I thought I'd feel better once we got a schedule and I got more sleep. But I didn't. So all summer, I was angry, and I was angry at Carter a lot, and he, just for being a baby. I was irritable, I was ugly. My marriage suffered and my family suffered. And I remember feeling hopeless, very uncapable. And I think the best word to describe it was I felt despair. And I didn't know why, because I had a good life. I've wanted two kids for a long time, and I had them. Carter could have died, and he was healthy for a preemie. I didn't want him. I had wished he had never been born I didn't want to take care of him. I just wanted to run away. I did not know why. And of course I felt major guilt over that. And the hardest part of it all was that I was praying and I was reading my scriptures. And in the past I had always used God's word as my sword and shield. I'd write them on, I would write verses that were pertaining to difficulties in my life on little index cards. And I'd read through them every morning when I got up and write them on my mirror. And God's word my whole life, well, from the time I was a Christian, um, had been a sword and had been a shield. And I would fight the battles. I mean, I wasn't always doing a great job at it, but I was I was persevering with his word. And his word did not touch depression. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians eight to you, because I remember reading this in the middle of all this. Um, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not... Sorry, let me get back to that. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. and struck down, but not destroyed. So I'm a Christian, and I'm feeling despair. What does that say about my faith? And so there add that element of how I'm feeling. So I, have, I don't know I have depression, but now I know that I had depression. And now I'm questioning my faith. I'm not supposed to have despair if I'm a Christian. But God showed up faithful again. At this point, all I could do was pray for help. I didn't even know what to pray, didn't even know what to ask Him. I just prayed for help. Lord, I need help. And so He sent me help. My mom um, was visiting my sister in Utah. She woke up in the middle of the night, woke up my dad, and said, Jessica's not well. I'm flying home tomorrow to help take care of her and so she called me and she said I'm booked a flight and I'm coming and I'm going to stay she lives five minutes from me but she said I'm going to stay in your house in your guest room for a week and your dad's not coming, it's just me Um, and when she came I I went to a Christian counselor and you know that Christian counselor had had postpartum depression but only with her second baby and she said to me I promise to walk with you through this until you're better and when she said that to me, I felt like everything was going to be okay. And the most important thing she told me was, this is not a faith problem any more than you having cancer or having heart disease. She said, there's a problem in your brain. So through months and months of counseling, I got a lot better, um, but not, not enough. So this is something that I've never been public about before. A lot of my friends know but I had to go on medication. I was very ashamed, but I shouldn't have been. I felt very broken, but we all are. But I had a wise friend when I was talking to her about this, said to me, Jessica, it's all about your pride. And she was right. Because if you were to tell me I'm taking medication for depression, I would have said, good for you. That's awesome. You should be doing that. But not when it came to me, I didn't want to do it. And she said, it's all about your pride. And I said, you know, you're right. And so I went on medication. And my husband said he noticed a difference very quickly. And he wouldn't be one to normally say go on medication either. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> it was all good. So I want to say, if you are here and you have had depression, or you have, had it, if you ha- you have it now or you have had it, If you are here and you are taking medication for depression or you have taken it in the past, I want you to know you're not alone. Even if it's just you and it's just me, then we have each other. I can be your person. As Priscilla talked about in week four, we can lock arms together, put our go shoes on, and maybe we'll just take baby steps. But we'll walk together. So as I was healing through this, I decided to throw Romans 828 out there again and he called me to help other people because Providence didn't have anything to do to help people who have postpartum depression but I had no idea what I needed to do so I called Tabitha because um, she was in charge of women's ministry at the time and she had a great idea um, to just write a letter to every mom who has a baby so there should be a lot of you who are going, that's who Jessica Tice is, <laughs> because you have gotten a letter from me. And if I, if you didn't, it's not my fault. It's the hospital sheet. I just have to go off that. Um, so I write a letter to every new mom, or not new mom, but every mom who has a baby. It might be your third baby, um, telling you about what I went through and giving you the information about signs to look for for postpartum depression and saying, call me. I'm not a counselor and I'm not a pastor, but I can just listen and say that I've been there. And so right now, every mom should be getting a letter um, when they have a new baby. I don't know what God plans to do with that ministry. Um, We'll just have to wait and see. So I want to say, if you've had a hard time recently, just take a few minutes to pray and ask God to help you see where he's been faithful in your past, because he has been. As I was writing this down, and I knew all of these things in my head, but kind of putting them all together and organizing, I'm going, wow, look what he's done. I'm going to keep these papers. You know, somewhere close, so the next time life gets really hard, look back at him and say, He's faithful. He'll be faithful again. So he'll be faithful for you. Spend time reflecting, spend time praising him for what he has done in your life, and trust him to walk with you. Thanks.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So, my, was Thank that not amazing? You. Yes. Thank
1: you. Yes. Oh. thought it's over. I, I wasn't think nervous. the
0: thing that's so amazing about this words of encouragement for me personally is that we all have a story, and we're all in this together. And for you to share something so personal, I know you guys are blessed. And there may be someone in this room who needed to hear that today. I mean, I I can recall a time when I had my first baby going through a a very short period of postpartum, and I didn't know what it was either, and then someone told me about it, and so we're we're all in this together, and your vulnerability and your humor, I told you she was funny, right, and your humor and just your willingness to just share has really blessed me, and um, I just want to pray for you, and I just want to say, If ever any of you have something that you're going through and you need to talk to someone, we are here. You know, what Jessica just talked about, she's here for you. If it's something else, um, come and talk to us because we all are, like I said, we're all in this together. and, And you don't have to have shame. You don't have to have fear. And you don't have to think you're alone because I guarantee you whatever you're going through, somebody else has gone through it too. So just let me pray, and thank you again. I'm so glad you didn't punch me in the face when I asked you, (laughs) but I am grateful that you shared. So let me pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time, and just thank you for Jessica. Thank you for her story. Lord, thank you for the story of your redemptive plan and how she perfectly wove you through every detail of her life from her beginnings struggles with thinking Mormonism wasn't true and just bringing Glenn into her life and then bringing her people who just loved on her during this time of depression. Lord, I pray that your word would go out. And Lord, I pray for anyone today sitting here who's struggling, Lord, that you would send them a person who can just walk beside them through the dark days, Lord, and that they can come out to on the other side. And as your word says, come and see what the Lord has done. Thank you again. I just ask that you would just speak to every person here today, Lord, and just give us a heart to love others deeply and well. And we pray all these things in your strong name. Amen. You may be dismissed.